For some people, the fact that their income is variable means goals like paying off debt or saving a full emergency fund will simply always be out of reach. For Samantha and her husband, who are both personal trainers, they decided that their variable income would not stand in the way of their dream of buying a home. Today, Samantha shares their story of paying off $50,000 in consumer debt while having variable income. I'm Carly Hill, and this is the Debt-Free Mom Podcast. All right, Samantha, so can you tell our listeners why you are here to talk about variable income? What does income look like in your household? Me and my husband both have been experiencing and deal with a variable income since the start of our careers. And we have been working off of essentially commission since the start of our debt-free journey. So we have been personal trainers in the fitness space for me over a decade and my husband close to two. And our main source of income has come from basically commission. So we have been dealing with variable income nearly our entire professional lives. Okay. So you've always had variable income from your different jobs. At what point did you decide that even though you do have this variable income, you don't have a consistent paycheck, what point did you decide that you were going to go ahead and pay off your consumer debt? How much did you have? And what was maybe your breaking point or turning point in that? So our money story started back after we got married in 2016. We were both working for a local gym as personal trainers and managers, and we're not very good with running our own money. And we ended up having to take a loan out in order to get married because our financial plans on how we were going to successfully pay for that kind of fell through. And our second option was to take out a loan for that wedding. So we ended up taking out a loan and unfortunately my husband ended up getting very sick. So our entire journey from when we got engaged to then when we got married, there were a lot of bumps and a lot of them were financially disheartening and very detrimental to us. And once my husband started feeling better, we decided that we wanted to kind of move on with our lives and actually buying a home was one of those things. And we realized then that we weren't going to be able to afford one. We took out the loan for our wedding. We had this new, I think it was nearly $350-$400 payment on top of car payments and student loans that we already had. And that was when we kind of sat down and really took a look at our money. And we realized that getting out of debt was going to be our best option. So basically giving us all of our income back in order to do what we wanted, which was to purchase a home. And that was basically when our journey started. That was back in 2016. And we were debt-free by the spring of 2018. So how much in payments did you free up? Like how much did your budget feel like there was so much more available from the time that you started to the time that you actually paid it all off? So we realized, and I know this is kind of an outlier moment to the current society that we live in, but once we started budgeting and writing down how much we made and how much we were spending, we had thousands of dollars left over. And what we were able to do was gradually pay off. We did do the snowball method, paying off our smallest to largest. And that was because our interest rates were relatively the same. Nothing that was going to make like a big impact because we didn't have credit cards. 
So we started budgeting and then throwing every extra dollar that we had towards getting ourselves out of debt. The first was my car and my car payment wasn't a lot, but it still freed up a hundred to two hundred dollars or so. We rolled that into my student loans and then we finished that and then into my husband's student loans and then into his car, which was our biggest loan at the time. He had recently taken out that car loan. So when we started, it was about $28,000 roughly. So once we were able to kind of take all of those payments, throw them into the car, it took us less than two years essentially to pay off all of our debt. Wow, that's amazing. So did you, when once you decided to do that, because you do have variable income, did you try to lean into increasing your income or just kind of operating with what you had been making and, and being more efficient with what you were currently bringing in? At the time, we didn't really lean too much into making more money. When you're a trainer, a lot of what you do is commission. So you get a portion of whatever the client is paying. And then if you are working for another gym, which was in our case, the gym takes a small portion of that as well. And then obviously you have taxes, health insurance, any retirement contributions are then taken out of that. And the more clients you train, the more work, the more classes you teach, depending on how you get paid, obviously the more income you'll bring in. But there's also a cap to that. There's only so many clients. There's only so many classes. There's only so much work you can put in in a day. And lucky for us, even though we're, we were earlier in our careers, we, we made a decent amount of money. And that was very clear when we started budgeting because we had no idea that we were, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars bringing in more than we were spending. That money was just like going in way too many different directions. So once we started budgeting, we realized that even though we were variable income, we didn't have to necessarily work too, too much harder. We just needed to kind of focus on the income that we were bringing in and sending it to the correct places. I think that is one of the best realizations that can come out of budgeting is I think before people budget, when they feel like they have too much debt or it's just too messy, the thing we always jump to is like, well, I got to take a part-time job or I got to increase my income. And sometimes sometimes that's the case. But if we first look at the budget and just see like what the actual numbers are, sometimes it can be such a relief to realize I actually don't need to bring more money in. I just need to behave a little bit differently with the money that I'm currently bringing in. And then I can start to find some of that progress and goals that I felt like was impossible before we had a plan. So that's awesome that you guys were able to do that. So it was about two years of paying off debt. Is that like 2016 yeah. to 18? Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's like 25000 a year. That is that is yeah. great. That we is were, hard we work. We were chugging. We were, I mean, I laughed because our rent at the time, and I will say it was under $900 for a one bedroom, one bath. And that's like, you know, unheard of these days, but it's all relative. Everything that we were doing then and everything that anybody needs to do now is essentially the same. We needed to pay attention to what we were doing and taking all the extra money we had and being more intentional about where it went. So even though our expenses were incredibly low then, and we were lucky that they were that low, we definitely were still very much trying to get out of debt as quickly as possible. And sometimes it is, you know, luck or like you said, with the rent, it's never going to be that low again. But, but it's also 
a conscious choice to keep your expenses that low and not, you could have said, as soon as you paid off the very first debt, which was your car, you could have said, all right, right now we can go ahead and rent somewhere that's $200 more because we just paid off a $200 car loan. But instead you stayed consistent with keeping your expenses the same, which allowed you to continue that momentum even faster into the next debt. So I think it is, you know, a combination, like you said, of the luck and the timing yes. that it happened to be. It was very, be. very tempting to get. Our apartment was so small. We were busting. Like every day I walked in, I was like, I cannot wait to get out of here. And that was part of the drive to buy the house. Yeah. So I was like, I can't live here anymore. But we did it. We said no for the two extra years and we managed. And isn't it amazing? I know, like thinking back to my own time of paying off debt and then trying to save up the down payment in the moment it feels like two years is an eternity, right? You're like, oh my gosh, oh, I cannot did. imagine like doing this for two years. But at the same time now, like being where we are now and looking back, it's like two years went in a snap, right? Like it, it felt long at the moment, but that is such a relatively short amount of time to commit to something compared to how much benefit you get. Because like 2018 at this point is already six years ago. So you've now had six years of living debt-free and having so much more options in your income because of that little short two-year stint where you really, you know, pedal to the metal, paid that off quickly. So I hope people listening who are maybe at the beginning side of that, who haven't done that yet, can be reminded that the way it feels in the moment is probably not going to be how it always feels if you just stick with it a little bit. So with your variable income, how did, like, I know when people have, when they decide that they're going to go ahead and pay off their debt, then kind of map out from now to when the debt is going to be paid off because their income is pretty set and so are their expenses. So they can say, okay, I have $500 extra every single month and I can just keep putting that in. Did you find any challenges or bumps in the road as you were trying to pay off debt because your income was variable? Like maybe times where you expected to be able to put more aside and it ended up not being there because of your income? Did you have any challenges or frustrations because of that? Not when we were paying off debt, because I could kind of gauge at a minimum how much money I was going to bring in. So I knew how many clients I had per week. I kind of knew roughly how many sessions I was going to be doing. And I could kind of guess at a minimum how much money both of us were going to bring in. And as our journey has kind of continued, it's actually almost gotten more challenging because the bumps in our income and how we make money now has actually grown because we were 40 hours a week and we had minimum what we knew what we were going to make. And that was true for when we were paying off debt. And once we became financially successful, and obviously we are over five years into this journey now, we have actually created a more complex pay for ourselves because we took down our hours, we got different jobs, and now we have multiple streams of income that are all variable. So it has definitely become more challenging, believe it or not, than it was when we first started. When we were paying off debt, it was nice if I gained a client that was extra money. I always worked off a very small amount and something that we knew that we would always be able to pay all of our bills with. And then at the end of the month, whatever was extra, we then threw towards debt. That's not the case anymore. We have to work things a lot differently now, but getting out of debt has put us in the position that we are now 
to be able to have the flexibility, even though our budget and our income is more variable than it was then. It is something that I think a lot of people work with, whether you're commission, whether you work off of tips, whether you're a gig worker or a seasonal worker. It's very common for people to have variable income, but it is also something that's very possible for you to achieve financial freedom if you are working with not a set salary. So what were some of those changes that you made after you became debt-free to switch up your time commitment or your work or take on another stream of income? What were some of those things that you felt like you were freed up to do because you had gone ahead and paid off that debt? Some of it was unintentional because some of it was actually brought on by COVID because the gym the gym industry kind of fell apart. Hit hard. Yeah. Yes. So I live in New York. And we lost our jobs for nearly nearly a year. We were one of the first state to shut gyms down. And then we were also one of the last states to then reopen them. And then on top of that, there was a lot of restriction. There was a lot of people that were scared to enter gyms. Everybody needed to wear masks. And there were just a lot of these rules that people were unwilling or unwanting to follow. And that was a big deal because if you are a variable income worker and you are working in that situation and you don't have clients, you're not making any money. So it was a definite concern for us and kind of led us into a different direction. And we were lucky at the time that we were debt-free. We didn't have to worry about any payments. We had a fully funded emergency fund and we were able to kind of make those choices. So we actually switched companies and we work for a big box facility but with um, better pay, less hours. So we work off of classes now, and we actually also train our own clients. And then my husband is actually a gig worker. He's a DJ. So we have three streams of variable income that make up all of our income now. And we made that shift because we wanted to work less. If I'm being completely honest, we don't have children and we are able to kind of pick and choose what we want to do when we want to work, knowing exactly how much money we need to make. And becoming debt free allowed us to be able to do that. So we made a little bit of a shift. We're both still in fitness, but we don't spend all of our time and all of our energy in one place anymore. That's definitely a common thread through people who make it to the other side of paying off debt and getting that emergency fund is your priorities start to shift a little bit in a really good way because these doors are open, these options you have. I mean, imagine that exact same COVID scenario, but with two car payments and two student loans and, you know, like that, the choices you would have been forced to make were just a completely different category than what you were actually able to choose because you had those options and those limited number of expenses. And so I, it is so helpful to hear your story of how you were able to start out by paying off debt because you wanted to you know, be, be debt-free and then have circumstances outside your control that caused changes, but you were more able to ride those out because of the debt payoff that you had done. My family is in the same boat of working less now because we spent a little bit of time working more earlier, right? Like picking up extra jobs or whatever it was 
And doing that for a season actually allowed us to do something that we never thought we would do, like becoming fully self-employed um, and taking that plunge that feels scary no matter what your income level is or what your expenses are. But it is just like an extra level of security when you're like, okay, at least I don't have this thousands of dollars of payments just to our vehicles. You know, if something would, if we really needed to pare down our budget, we really could in a way that we would not, it would not be possible if we had debt. So you shifted and now have multiple streams, which I actually think having multiple streams of income when your income is variable is, like you said, more complicated. But I think it does help to kind of even out how you feel throughout the month, because if one individual stream of income has a randomly low month, at least it's not you're not putting all your eggs in that basket. Right. It's not your only stream of income. So having those three and they're all variable now as you're working through that, how do you how do you budget around that? Do you like go for just a really low side of average? Is there any are there any of those streams of income that you don't even plan for and you just kind of send it all to goals? What's your approach now as you're trying to get a glimpse into the future and map out what you think you'll be able to do? So it is kind of a challenge. Now we do work for a gym that we can guess what our minimum amount getting paid is going to be. So that was true for our previous jobs where we kind of know where our minimum baseline will be and everything else is extra. Now, the thing about our gym job is it just hits our minimum requirement to our needs. So it basically covers our food, our gas, our electric, like just the bare minimum. So essentially without the other streams of income or without working more inside of the gym, we would just barely be making enough. So we wouldn't be able to do other things or work on financial goals, which obviously we're still trying to do even post debt freedom. So my husband is a DJ. So he does small gig work, corporate parties, private parties. He works at a local casino and he does weddings and stuff like that which means that he gets paid very large amounts at once and then could also go months without getting paid anything. So yes, so it's a little challenging. And then we also have our one-on-one sessions that we do on the side. I don't prefer doing one-on-one sessions anymore. I prefer group fitness, so I don't have a ton, but it does bring in just a little bit extra so that we can kind of cushion it on top of our gym job and have it take us to that next level so that we can work on other things. Do you think that your goal would always be that whatever that gym pay is, that you could fit your expenses, your your basic necessary expenses into it and have the gigs and the extra side stuff be truly extra? Or do you think that, you know, over time you might, your expenses might go into actually requiring some extra? So I know exactly how much we need to make every single month at bare minimum, which is helpful. Knowing that exactly how much money you need to have every single month, that's going to guide you in the right direction so that if you are a variable income earner, you know exactly how much you have to have. Sometimes you kind of have to work backwards, which is the challenging part. So I know that becoming debt-free was to create more options for us, but that doesn't mean that everything is obsolete. I still have to work and I still know how much I have to work in order to get the money that I need in order to pay for my lifestyle and then the goals on top of that. So 
I have my class schedule set with my bare minimum in mind. So I worked myself to a set of classes that I know will make me what I want to make. Do I work any more than that right now? No, because I don't have to. So it's one of those things where we created the options, but then again, we still have to make sure that we're earning what we need to earn. Now, I take that baseline and then everything else extra on top of that because my husband gets and takes gigs that he wants to take and then maybe denies or doesn't take ones that he can't. Obviously, if he's not available, he can't do them, but that's kind of how I work it. I know how much I need to make and I've set my class schedule to that and then everything else is then extra. What you mentioned there is a really important point that when people have variable income and they kind of say, oh, well, I I can't budget because my income is variable. It's actually even more important to have a plan when your income is variable because you need to be hyper aware of what your bare minimum is. Like you need to know that number. I think everybody who has variable income should just be able to say off the top of their head, this is our set expenses in a month. So that you can very clearly know once you find out what that paycheck is going to be, even if it's the day before you get paid, then you have a very quick way to say that is enough to cover or that's not enough to cover. And you can move into your, you know, your backup plans or your contingency plans. But if we have no awareness or no way to know ahead of time what our income is going to be, and then we also shoot ourselves in the foot if we decide not to be aware of what our expenses are either. So then the whole thing just feels unknown. But really, we can, like you said, work backwards. We can reverse engineer our budget and say, even if I don't know what my income is going to be, I can set up a plan for exactly what I know I need to pay for so that whenever I do eventually find out what my income is, I know right away if this does or does not cover what I need it to cover so that I can either pull money from savings or reduce what I thought I would be able to spend or what I would be able to put to goals. Or if the income is more than you needed, then you really quickly know, you know, if everybody has in the top of their head, my set expenses are 3000 for the month. And then the day before I get paid, it ends up that my paycheck is 3300 Well, that person can know I can send 300 to whatever my top goal is because they have that awareness of what their expenses are. So you are so right that like you need to be in tune with what those numbers are, even if you don't yet know exactly what your paycheck is going to be. If you're not paid once a month, why are you budgeting that way? A monthly budget ignores the fact that sometimes your expenses are due before the next paycheck is available. A pay period budget is built around your unique pay schedules so that your money doesn't feel like a mess. Create an accurate, realistic plan for getting the most out of each paycheck. Get started budgeting by pay period today with the best-selling budget template and mini course from me, Debt-Free Mom. It's available for just $9 at debtfreemom.co slash template. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped people like me get smarter about things like saving on travel, Spending less on airfare leaves more money for food and fun. Putting away money for retirement. I hate to break it to you, but I don't plan on doing this podcast forever. And saving up an emergency fund. Because life is like a movie. It loves a good plot twist. The good news is we can learn how to be prepared for those twists and turns. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. 
So now that you are debt-free and have that emergency fund, what is, even though your income is variable, what goals are you focusing on right now? So we moved from paying off all of our debt to then purchasing a home. And then we built our emergency fund up. And now our main focus is one, enjoying our money and two, of course, retirement. Because with variable income, sometimes comes a non-option for... 401k or it depends on like kind of what your situation is we are in charge of our own retirement so we are focusing on that mainly on Roth IRAs just for the tax advantages but our main focus is on retirement that's exactly where I am too yeah it is hard to realize that you don't have a like there's no employer match there's nobody setting up the account for you you actually have to like decide what the account's going to be, decide how to invest it, and then make that choice month after month to put that money in there, which is definitely one of the harder sides of variable income. If there's people out there listening who are bogged down by this idea of variable income, or maybe even considering a job switch, but the fact that it's variable income is making them shy away from choosing it, what would you say some of the benefits are? Like, What are some of the cool parts about having these side gigs or these jobs that can fluctuate your income? It's always the opportunity to make more money. You don't have a cap. You aren't salaried at a set amount of hours. You can kind of create or generate your own income. You can work a little more, hopefully make a little bit more. And that is the beauty because you're not just relying or set on one thing and then maybe having to get a side job on top of that. You can make more money and it's more accessible for you to do that if you have a commission or gig or tip-based job. I know the full-time job I had before becoming a stay-at-home mom was a salaried teacher. And then my husband's full-time job was salaried too. And it is, I, some of it is just the nature of the job. And there's certainly perks about being salaried. But some of the frustrating parts can be that if you have like an extra busy season of work where there's like a giant project and so you really have to lean in and give it extra, your paycheck doesn't get any larger than it was when you were only kind of sort of limping along. And so I think that is a as scary as variable income can be, I, I do think that that is something that if someone's shying away from it is actually something that you could lean into. I know that I like the self-employed system where I see a really close connection, like you said, between what I'm doing and how hard I'm working and how much I'm willing to step up my game and have that be really tightly correlated to how much I get paid. And that I know, like, if I lean into these different projects and set these up and, you know, really resonate with my audience or whatever, therefore, my personal payout is going to be larger than it was if I didn't do that. And I'm people are wired different way, but ways, but I'm certainly motivated by that idea of tying those two things together. So I agree with you that there's definitely benefits to seeing the way you work or the way, you know, like with your kind of job, like getting more customers because they like you, right? Because they actually like working with you and being trained by you. And so that's a really rewarding kind of job setup to know like, oh, that person gave me a shot and they're actually coming back time after time because it's, you know, effective or because they like working with me. So yeah, for people who currently are self-employed and are kind of like, oh, I wish I was salaried or are considering that, I would definitely agree with you that there are aspects of it that can feel really exciting and help you to see the value of your work and that there are things that are really closely tied to if I work in this way and succeed in this way, I'm going to get paid in a way that reflects what I've done. So 
with your variable income now, as you have met those goals and now you're focusing on retirement, did you ever struggle with wanting to slow your goals down? So this isn't necessarily something that is only applicable to variable income people. But I know like for us, we kind of like plowed through getting debt free and paying off our house and buying or not paying off our house, buying our first house and building our emergency fund. And then I felt like we kind of floundered of like, I don't really know what either either I don't know what to do or I just don't want to. I kind of burned out. Did you experience any of that like desire to just kind of let off the gas a little bit? Yes. We went like zero to a hundred the first probably three years. So we paid off fifty thousand dollars worth of consumer debts and saved almost forty thousand dollars in three years. So that's how we got from debt freedom to home ownership. And that was in 2019. So we got debt-free in 2018 and somehow managed to save just about $40,000 in one year and purchased our home. And then as soon as we purchased our home, um, everything exploded a little bit. And I sometimes think back and wish that I had just not felt so guilty about not continuing that zero to 100 mindset because we essentially had reached our initial goal, which was purchasing a home. And because our expenses nearly doubled, we went from that cheap apartment to being a homeowner, which is like, again, it's just a total 180 and our expenses were so much higher. I wish I had kind of given myself a little bit of grace in that period and not felt so guilty about painting my house and buying furniture and doing all those things because it was very expensive. And then I kept saying, you know, repeatedly, I should be doing this and I should be doing that when that was just not true because we had worked very hard for three years to get ourselves in our home. And I wish I had given myself just that maybe year of grace to kind of actually make my house a home and not worry about what the next thing I was supposed to be doing was. I was in my uh, low 30s. I'm 34 now. So I have still have plenty of time. So I kind of wish I just like didn't work so hard that season. And then it's funny because then 2020 happened and our wrench was thrown into the way that we made our money and that kind of tilted us as well. So we have definitely settled into basically once we hit the max of our retirement or our goal to spend the rest of it and being okay with that. And that's definitely, you know, the psychology and mindset portion of money that even if you are somebody that's debt free, it's still a challenge. It's still something that you constantly have to work on. But in the last year or so, I definitely think that we have come into that mindset more that once we know our retirement goal is filled for the year or that we're going to reach it, that we can use the time to be present and spend the money how we want to spend it and enjoy where we are right now. That's awesome. Because I think it like it takes these two opposite skills, like to get out of debt and to save up an emergency fund requires the opposite skill to then staying out of debt, which is like actually being able to enjoy what you've done. And it, it it's hard to turn on a dime and go from years of sticking to the budget and keeping the non-essentials to a minimum and then sometimes as soon as we switch into, okay, I achieved that goal. I did what I was trying to do. 
as soon as we start to do something that back, you know, pre-debt free us would have said no to, it's like, ooh, I shouldn't spend my money in that way. And that's a bad way to spend my money. So it, it can definitely be hard. And I know, like, I remember while we were paying off debt, I would hear people say that, like, saving up an emergency fund is harder. And I was like, oh, well, that cannot be true because paying off debt is so hard. But it definitely can be true that those things that we thought once we got there. I know. I I I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I think it was like less fun. Like seeing a debt balance go down was like a game where I was like, yes, Yes. every time I have extra money available, I'm going to send it to that debt. And like, you know, haha, fooey on the bank. Now they can't charge me that interest. And there just there wasn't that kind of excitement with putting money in my own savings account each time. You know, it just it just seemed to not. Yeah, not be as exciting. I feel like it's like a like a finish line. So when you go debt down to zero, you haven't there's an end. But when you have an emergency fund or let's say you have investing there it doesn't end it's right it's It's like this percent of your income the rest of your life (laughs) so you're like where 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 does it end when does it end and it kind of feels like it doesn't so debt down for me was much more satisfying than emergency fund and now retirement so I kind of have to take it in chunks because my mind doesn't like to wrap itself around the fact that I could go forever and I would you know I would never hit zero because, you know, it doesn't There isn't a zero. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to lean into what are the other things that make this season fun? Like, what are the other things? So like for us right now, like we're focusing on retirement, but then we're also traveling more than we used to. And so like leaning into that allows us to be okay with the idea that the retirement goal is kind of just perpetual and unending because it's like we can see a tangible other area that is fun and is rewarding. Um, And I I think, honestly, that ties into a variable income a little bit for us. Like, we have a big trip that we are going to take this summer. And if we had a salaried income, I think I would, like, maybe take on an extra part-time job or something in order to save up an extra amount for this trip. But because we have variable income, we're like, all right, we're going on this trip in the summer and let's just hit these goals for these revenue markers. And as long as we do that inside the existing job that we already have, then we'll have more than enough for that trip in the summer where we you just can't flex your income like that in a salaried job. So having those things that we're going to enjoy because we are debt free and because we have a full emergency fund can help with the unending feeling of the other goals that you start to set for yourself. Okay, before we end, is there anything else that you would like to share about what you have learned about managing variable income? So if you imagine yourself back to the beginning when you first were trying to figure out variable income and the things that felt hard and the things that felt challenging, what was maybe a lesson that you wished you had learned earlier that would have made budgeting and hitting those big goals on a variable income be easier? I think it really is just understanding that when you are on a financial journey, nothing is really constant. So if you are somebody that is earning a regular salary, you are lucky in that standpoint that you do have that amount to work off of. But even if you are somebody that has a salary, a lot of what's inside of your money and inside of your budget and how you live your financial life, none of it's constant. One month looks a lot different than the next month. One week, you'll you know maybe lose your job or 
you know, an emergency might happen, all of these things that are inside of your financial life, as much as we would love for them to just be like a copy and paste type of situation, it's just not. And having a variable income does add another complex part of budgeting and does make it a little more complicated and it's a little bit more like a puzzle, but it can absolutely be figured out. And once you've done it enough times or even just a handful of times, you'll kind of understand what it takes in order to work off of your specific income. Because even if you get paid a salary, the person that's next to you doesn't make the same salary. So no budgets are alike. Nobody's income, nobody's outgo is the same. So regardless of whether or not you make a variable income and your neighbor doesn't, no matter what, there's still going to be some sort of complexity and change inside of the way that you manage your money. So don't think that your budget or anything like that needs to look like somebody else's because it's just not going to, regardless of what kind of income you have. That is so true. It is so true. And for income and for expenses, I think it can be easy to kind of give ourselves permission to not achieve goals or permission to not see progress because like, well, this is all the ways that my situation is harder than everybody else's. But when we can instead say, yep, like those are challenges, but I'm also going to find benefits to the situation that I'm in. That's when I think we actually see that momentum because ultimately like comparing our specific situation to anybody else's is kind of just a waste of time. Yes. I think it's just like a form of an excuse. So if you're coming up and saying, well, mine is this and not that, well, of course it's not because yours is yours and mine is mine. So it doesn't really matter what your situation is like. Having variable income or salary job or maybe you're a one income family doesn't really make your situation any easier or harder than somebody else's. It just might add a different layer that somebody else doesn't have. So Yeah. Yep. Success might look a little different and timelines might look a little different, but it doesn't make it impossible. And I think your story is certainly a testimony that you took what was challenging about that situation, which was both the the variable income, the high debt, and then also getting hit by COVID and decided to pivot and then also protect yourself by paying off the debt and saving up the full emergency fund. So that when you inevitably had things come your way that were out of the blue, just like everybody else does, you weren't left exposed and needing to take on debt as soon as COVID happened because your paycheck went down. You had already built these protections into place. And I think that that's really the important part for all of us, regardless of what our income or expenses might be, is recognizing that it's not a matter of if we're going to have unexpected expenses like that. It's a matter of when. And so figuring out within our situation how we can prepare ourselves for that opens those doors, like you said, to then be able to accept jobs where you work less. And, you know, he can take a side gig, but he can also say no if he doesn't like it. He doesn't feel obligated that he has to say yes to all of them. Otherwise, we're not going to pay our bills kind of thing. Those options really do open up as you continue to build those layers of protection in your finances, which you guys have clearly done. Well, thanks so much, Samantha, for being willing to come on and share your story. Money is not something easy to talk about and share with other people, but every time people are willing to do it, it is always so beneficial to the people listening. I appreciate it.
On today's segment of Not Worth Your Money, we are going to chat about a user or listener submitted idea. So this one, neither of us came up with this. Someone sent it in and thought that it would be a good conversation to have. So the topic that they want us to talk about is online data storage, paying for data storage like Google Photos, Apple Cloud storage, those kind of things. Mm. I loathe the iCloud notifications of upgrade your storage. Like they, as an Apple user, I have had maxed out iCloud storage for years. And every week I will get a mandatory push notification that you cannot disable to upgrade your storage. You you can turn those off, actually. <laughs> I've tried. You have to turn off iCloud backups. Pretty sure that I've tried. Anyway. Well, I we'll get, have to look at it because we'll have to look at it. I have a infinite amount more of like photos and random crap that I never delete and I don't get that notification at all. I pay for Google storage and I've used Google photos for probably I don't know, like 10 years since before our kids were born. It started free and that's how they get you. <laughs> and so it was free if they could upload the photos at a lower quality and then you could pay if you wanted to have the photos and videos uploaded at the original quality. And then eventually they did away with the free one or the free one is like very, very small amount of storage. So I do pay for, I think it's a terabyte, but the annual fee is like, twenty dollars a year mm -hmm. it's very low i i don't love the idea of like i will always have to pay for this subscription because all of my photos of all of my children even like when they were born and videos when they walked and like all that stuff is all on there i don't love the idea of that but i also haven't seen a reliable alternative which is why i do pay for a lot of online data storage the alternative is like you maintain your own server or like network attached storage. But even those, I mean, can I guess network attached storage could be better, but like you hear about people's hard drives failing or, you know, like the, yeah. like it can physically malfunction or wear down or whatever. And then you just don't have, there's not like a recourse. So if we think back to like what our parents did, it was physical copies of everything. And so it was like physically printing all of your photos regularly, putting them into an album, transferring the little tapes of your video recorder onto VHS tapes. I know my mom has now, I think your family has done this too, gone through the process of turning those into DVDs mm -hmm. just so that they're not. The, the latest technology. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's better than a VHS, if <laughs> yeah. we're honest. And I'm sure they also have digital copies. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, to me that, and I think it's a function of our generation and our age, that having something physically seems just as likely to be lost or disappear or break as oh, a digital file. So I do pay for it. Now, at the same time, I think it's worth it because of what I am storing. So if I was just paying for it simply because I didn't want to go through and delete apps off my phone and delete random photos of nothing, then I would say it's not worth your money because you could just do, you know, 10 minutes of digital cleanup and then not need to pay. But because I use it as the way to keep all of those sentimental and important photos and stuff, that's I, I find it very worth my money. That's kind of where I am at when it comes to most of my online storage stuff is that 
most all of it is just, oh, I created this document here or I started this project and now it's like half done and I'm never going to revisit it. So there's like a lot of junk in my iCloud folder or my Google yeah. Drive folder or whatever. And so oftentimes when I get up towards the limit and it always prompts you to like buy extra storage and I think I've gotten away for a very long time with just going through and saying like, oh, I actually don't need this or mm -hmm. I thought I did at the time, but I haven't opened this folder in six years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know there was, I had maxed out my Dropbox capacity and it was all backups of like my high school like and college, college papers. papers. Yeah. That doesn't matter. No. To yeah. Me. Dropbox, I don't pay for <laughs> at all. No. Um, and I and you're not the primary picture and video taker of our, you know, like I True. I very much approach it of like I am documenting their childhood. Yeah, and, and I'll take like, a picture if there's like, oh, you look weird. Today. I was gonna say it has to be like somebody spills food on their face and then yeah. he'll take a picture of it. So I'm fine with paying for my digital storage. <laughs> so I think there's specific context where it does make sense, but I would say most of the time I'm fine with the free versions yeah. of any of that. And there's risk in all of it, you know, like if it's just like, oh, I don't want to pay to make Apple responsible for all of my important stuff or to make Google responsible for all of my important stuff. I just, like I said, haven't found a super strong alternative. I don't love that either. I just haven't found like a next best thing that feels better than that. And also at this point is worth the task of migrating all of it over. Like I don't even know how I would go about taking a decade of photos and videos off of Google and putting it somewhere mm -hmm. else. And that's, that's how they get you. <laughs> and this has been another segment of Not Worth Your Money. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Mom podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.